Welcome to the Campus Rush Podcast. We believe that God will speak through this word and meet you right at the point of your need. We hope that God will bless you through this message. What would Jesus do part two? I want to preach for a few minutes um, uh, from a topic. I want my house full. I want my house full. Um, I'm going to take our text from Luke 14, 16 to 24. Um, and as you're turning there, I know our screens are are a bit challenged today, but uh, by God's grace, next week they'll be back up. Um, as you're turning there, let me just encourage those who haven't gone to an encounter, you need to go. Uh, if you haven't been to an encounter, it's a 48-hour transformation and experience with God, getting deeper in the things of God. You need to go. You need to be there. Register today uh, outside with our pastors. Uh, be there. I'll be there all weekend. Uh, my brother will be there. A few of our leaders will be there. Uh, some of your peers will be there. You have to be there. And for our leaders, of course, November 23rd, 24th, it's our leadership retreat. Um, and so please make it a point to be there. Amen. Luke 14, 16 to 24. Um, I'm going to read three sections of scripture. Um, I'm going to do a little kind of Bible study. We're going to do about three breakdowns of Bible studies. We're looking at what would Jesus do, part two. Uh, last week, we looked at what this topic means to us. We looked at uh, looking at the character of Christ, looking at uh, his, his, his innate nature, who he is, and uh, wanting our hearts to be able to align to his heart. Uh, so this week, we're going to build upon what we spoke about last week. Uh, we spoke about waiting. Anybody remember that? We spoke about waiting, Jesus and Lazarus, and we spoke about the waiting period uh, between knowing that you have the power to do something, but God keeping you in a, a place of hiding. Um, and so Luke uh, 14, 16, 24 says, Jesus followed up. Um, you know, he was talking to, to some people, and he brings this story into it and says this. Yes, for there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servant uh, to the invited guests saying, come on in, the food's on the table. I'm reading from the MSG. Verses 18 says, then they all began to beg off and one after another making excuses. The first one said, I bought a piece of property and I need to look it over. So I send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen and I really need to check them out, send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married and I need to get home to my wife. Uh, the servant went back and told his master what had happened. He, out, uh, uh, he was outraged and told the servant, quickly get out into the streets and the valleys and the alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits and the homeless and the wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, said, saying, Master, I did what you commanded, and there's still room. Verses 23 and 24 says, the master said, then go into the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Somebody say, I want my house full. Somebody say it louder. Say, I want my house full. After he says he wants his house full, then the scripture just ends by saying, let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get as much as a bite at my dinner table. Amen? Scriptural breakdown real quick. We're going to look at two, two aspects of this. And then I want us to get into some, some things. Tonight I really just feel a breaking in the atmosphere. Uh, and I really feel that God is going to do a deep work in our minds, in our hearts. Anytime we get into a new series, it's an opportunity for the church to grow deeper in our knowledge and our teaching. 
so that we can know more about God and know, about, know more about his intent for our future and for our lives. Um, when you look at the scriptural breakdown, I'm just going to put two things and then uh, we'll, we'll get on our way. Uh, the Bible says from here, number one, uh, the ones who should have been invited refused to come. So there's this man, he's having a party. He sends out his servant. He says, listen, take these invitations. Give it to all my boys. I want my house full. I want, I want a crazy party. I want everybody to be there. Uh, the servant goes to all his friends of the master. The master's friends and his counterparts say, listen, I can't do it. So the master gets so pissed off. So the first thing is that the people who said that they wanted that, uh, that the people who uh, received the invitations actually didn't come. So the master asks the house to be filled by anyone who needs food. So he says, if you see somebody on the road, my servant, and they look like they're hungry, bring them to my house because I have a full course meal for them. The second point we're looking at is that when the sermon brought the misfits, when he brought the outcasts, when he brought the homeless people, there was still room in the house. So the master sent out the servant and he told him, go to the countryside and whoever you find, whoever you find that even looks remotely like they want food or they want anything, bring them to my house because my house has to be full. Now, if you look at it in the context of church, it's very simple scripture, very scripture, uh, very, very simple breakdown. Simple. God is saying this, that many times those who believe that, that they are living right, those who believe that, that the church is where they belong, sometimes God says that they behave in a way that is contrary to what he believes in this. In that sometimes the house is not always meant to be filled with people who look a specific way. But the house is to be filled with people who even people in the house feel should not be there. So what God is doing in this season in our church and in this month is God is asking us to go out and to be able to fill the house with people who may not look like us, who may not dress like us, who may not talk like us. But at the same time, they need to be in the house because God didn't die for a section of people. Are you with me? God didn't just die for a selection of people. God didn't die just for Africans, not just for black people. God didn't, Christianity is not an African thing. This is not an African church. This is not a, a Caribbean church. No, this is a church that flows with the blood of Jesus. It means you can be yellow, you can be white, you can be Mexican, you can be whatever you are. You can be Arab, you can be what. This house is a house for all. It's a house of inclusion. It's a house for everybody. So the Bible is saying, and he's, he's using this scripture for us to understand that this house needs to be filled and not just filled with the same type of people, but with different types of people. Are you still with me? So the types of individual, I just have such a creative mind. So I'm going to try to think of the servant going out there. We're going to put ourselves in his shoes. The servant going out there and picking certain types of people. I, I envision that there's certain types of people that would be coming to this house, maybe homeless people, socially awkward, the outcasts, the misfits, and of course the unbelievers and the sinners. Some 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel, one of the most heinous sinners or the heinous crimes that you, commit, uh, you could commit was that of being a harlot. When they saw you to be a harlot, it was like equivalent to you being stoned to death. In fact, if they found that the priest's daughter had actually had sex before she was married she could actually be burned to death like that's how serious they took these crimes they were like listen it's not it's not something we play with it's something that's so serious to us so in being a, a harlot or being a prostitute has the the most craziest outcomes if you were caught in the act uh, the funny thing though is that uh, even though the harlots were seen as the worst types of people it's like Jesus always had conversations with them 
It's like Jesus, we're looking at the character of Christ. It's like, it's like even though you have the worst of sinners, it's like the person did the worst crime. It's like the person should not even be spoken to. It's like Jesus was chilling with the sinners. And a lot of religious people have difficulties with that. That's why they, the, the Pharisees in the Bible, that's why the people of the law had such a difficult time understanding how Jesus can always be with the sinners. But he was a friend of sinners. And if Jesus is a friend of sinners, then we should be friends of sinners. Well, that's a good place to clap. The reason why this message may not resonate with so many people is this. is because we like comfort. And we like to be surrounded by people who look like us. And we have this comfort in being around people who speak like us, who reason like us, who are from where we're from, who eat fufu with us, who sit down to eat jollof with us, who talk with us, who go to McDonald's with us, who eat Subway with us, who go and eat curry goat with us. We want to just be around the same type of people. Oh, can I be real here? We just want to be around the same types of people. But God is saying this, if God being so holy in and of himself sent his son Jesus to earth and said, Jesus, in all your holiness, Jesus found himself with sinners, then who are we not to be able to go into the highways and the byways and bring people in to fill the house? The house needs to be filled, but the house has to be filled with people who don't look like us. Not just with people who are like us, but people who don't look like us. One of the most notable um, moments in the Bible where Jesus is having a conversation with a prostitute or a harlot. You can find this in Luke 7, verses 37. Uh, we're going to read it and then uh, we'll be on our way. One of the Pharisees asked him, for, asked him to come over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Jesus, then a woman, oh, Jesus met a woman of the village. Wait, what is this? Jesus then, I think there's a typo on the internet. The okay, here it is. Then as Jesus went into the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of a Pharisee, came into, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping raining tears on his feet letting down her hair she dried his feet kissed them and anointed them with the perfume when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man was a prophet and i thought he was he would have known what kind of woman this is that is all over him the nugget we're going to take from this is many times we feel that like Jesus is so clean and Christianity is so clean that he can't come to us. We feel like coming to Jesus with our sinful nature, coming to Jesus with all of our issues and our problems, it's like we're going to contaminate his holiness. But the, the truth of the matter is, friends, is this, is that as Jesus comes to you, he can't get contaminated by your sin because he purifies them. As you come to Christ with all of your sins and all of your shortcomings and all of your issues and all of everything, the Bible says this person was a known harlot. Says so she was known in the city. People knew her. Like this is the girl we know. We saw her going to, you know, this uncle's house and that that person's house and that brother's house and that we saw her going from house to house to house. 
and she finds herself at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine what's going through the minds of those people who are there? It's like, we've seen you do all these things. How can you think that you have, can have access to such a holy, righteous individual when you have so many sins? And as people are questioning and saying, we're questioning your faith and your position and your title, Jesus, because we thought that being a prophet, you would realize that this woman is dirty. He says, listen, you don't, you don't want to understand this. You don't understand. He walks and says, you didn't offer me anything to drink. You didn't offer me oil to put on my head. You didn't offer me anything. But this woman, since the moment I've come in here, has poured the very thing that she has, which is her alabaster, which is a precious perfume. And she's washed it with her hair. You don't even understand that when you get a heart of worship, worship has a way of touching the heart of God. And when you can come with an honest worship that triggers something in the heart of God, he begins to purify your sins. And what did he tell the woman? He says, go on and sin no more because this act has made you whole. Back in the olden days, I'm just going to do some history here and we're going to close up for tonight. Back in the olden days, being a prostitute meant that you were immoral. It meant that you were imperfect. It meant that you were sinful. Uh, such people had to wear scarves. They dressed very flashy. I did, I did some research this week. They dressed flashy. They had scarves. They had a whole bunch of jewelry. You could tell this person was definitely a sinful person or immoral person. According to Mark 16, 15, we're told to go into the world and make you disciples. Now, our problem is we're making disciples that, what, that are going to be after us. That's the problem, that we think that to be a disciple after me, you must dress like me. You must look like me. You must walk like me. But this is not what God is saying. God is saying, I want to make disciples and people. But the way that I make disciples and people is by changing their heart. So what God does, God sends us as believers into the world so that our heart that has been changed and touched by God can then be able to touch the heart of other people. And as their heart is transformed, then their behavior begins to modify. But because your behavior is modifying, of course things about you will change on the exterior. But our problem as believers is that we think that this change happens automatically. We think that, oh, because you come to church, automatically you're going to stop smoking. Like, because you come to church, that means you don't want a club anymore. It is a process. Somebody shout process. Saturday can say process. And it's like in the church, we don't want to believe that there is a such thing called a process. We want instant change. You walk into the church, you should instantly stop. It doesn't work that way. Do I have a witness in here? Do I have any type of witness? It doesn't work this way. I, I don't want to preach. I don't want to hoop. I want to teach tonight so you understand. It, 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 it doesn't work that way. You come into contact with the knowledge and the grace and the Holy Spirit begins to work on your heart. But it is a process. There will be times where you will come to church and then want to sin right after. There will be times where your sinful nature will try to corrupt your heart. There will be times... Where you come and you're like, God, I love you. I worship you. Hosanna in the highest. Oh my gosh, Christ Jesus, yes. And you leave this place. Oh my God. Oh, I'm going to quit. You guys are not ready. I'm going to go to the States. And the moment you leave this place, it's like the word you just listened to came into one ear. 
and it stayed in your head for the bus ride home and the moment you got home it left one ear out and you're asking yourself God how come I'm not changing listen there is a such thing called process and you know what the thing is pastor Oba process sometimes is not pretty process is not pretty prof said something that was so crazy the other day he said it's only in the church that we neglect people we ostracize them and judge them before they manifest he said it's only in the church that we write people off before they can fully manifest so we kill the gift on the inside of them before they even have a chance to fully process there's a such thing called due process in the spirit you don't just dump from being a corporal to a general there's something called due process in the process of you developing from who God who, who 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 you were made to be and who God is calling you to be there is a such thing called time and process and it takes time for God to develop generals you don't just become a general overnight you have to go through battles you start as a private and then you work your way up in this kingdom in this army called Christianity the gospel is a thing of process but the thing is that we portray it like it's not Oh, can I preach in here? We portray it like it's not a process. We portray it like because you go to church, you have it all together. That's how we portray it. Oh, let's be real here. Because you walk into these doors and you came to Thursday night church, at least you could tell your parents you went to church this week. Your mom asks you to go to church. Oh, yeah, I went to church. It was, it was great. It was great. It's like you just check it off of your list. Yeah, I go to church. It's like I'm just fulfilling my moral compass. Like my moral code it just has to be just updated so I come to church so I feel better about myself. But there's no real change. Because for there to be real change, it has to go beyond a Thursday service. The real change happens through real situations. And real situations happen when there's no lights, there's no Pastor Kofi, there's no worship leaders, there's no band, there's no smoke and lights. And it's, it's between you and that person or that bottle or that situation or that addiction. And that is the time, that is the opportunity where you have to prove yourself as a believer. Believing in Christ is not when we are here in corporate. Believing in Christ is when you are by yourself. Believing in Christ is when there's nobody watching. That's when God looks to see, are you developing in my process? That's what God looks for. I don't preach, I don't want to preach sermons anymore. I, I, I want to speak the breath of God to be able to convict your hearts so that we can fall in line with what Jesus would do if he was on this earth. Imagine if Jesus was just walking amongst us, like just, Pastor Ryan, I always talk about that, but like if Jesus would just, I'm like, I'm, yeah, I don't know if I believe him, like he should be just doing stuff and we should be like, yo, this guy's crazy, but it works. It's like, you know, but we give God all the glory. Thank, thank God I was born in this era. <laughs> and so, it, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, 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 and, and according to Mark 16, verses 15, where it says, is, go into all the earth. Uh, we can't pick and choose who's deserving of the good news because of just how they look. Come on. Uh, we need a full house. Somebody shout full house. Say it again. Say a full house. Man, I can't wait to the day where there are people who are in here that when you come to church, you have to hold your purse. Like, I'm waiting for that day where... <laughs> oh! 
I'm waiting for the day where it's like you can't leave your cell phone around. Why? Because the type of people we have in here, they're still in their process. Until... <clears throat> we can still leave our cell phones around. It means it's not a full house yet. It means it's a common house right now. <laughs> it means everybody's okay with everybody. But it has to get to the point where you walk in church and it's like, man, I don't really like that person. This person scares me. But I'm here because of Jesus. I'm here because of one name. I'm here because God called me to be in this full house. And it doesn't have to be a perfect house. It just has to be a good full house. A full house. God wants a full house. Your, 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 your personality, your, your everything. He wants you here. He needs you here because this house is a hospital. So he needs you to heal here. He needs you to develop here. He needs you to get training here. He needs you to fall and get up here. As long as you're in the house, you have supervision. But the moment you leave the house, you isolate yourself. And that's the first thing the enemy does before he takes you is isolate you. First thing he does is isolate you. God is looking for a full house. He's looking for a full house. Please be seated. You've got a good praise right there. Come on. You see, the church, I mean, let me pull up this scripture. I want to read something in Matthew really quick for you guys. I'm going to read Matthew verses uh, one, Matthew chapter one, verses five. Get this, that the church, as I was saying before, as an institution, we, 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 we constitute the church. The church is the institution that is so quick to judge someone because of a mistake or label them because of a stronghold. We, we quickly label people because of a struggle. We'll look at them and be like, that's the, that's the woman who's a harlot. But do you know why she's a harlot? You have no idea. That's the guy who struggles. That's that's that that's the that's the lady. That's the lady who comes to church, but you know her whole situation at home is not serious. It's not. We quickly label people in the church, and many times it's out of fear. We quickly give people labels because of the strongholds, because in our minds we have an image of our full house. If you look at the image of God's full house, I mean, look at heaven. There's not a heaven for Africans and a heaven for Canadians and a heaven for Europeans. There's one heaven for all of us. That means brethren from China will be there. That means that your house could be beside somebody who's just speaking Chinese. You don't know what they're saying. They're just in heaven just worshiping God. You, 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 your house could be beside somebody. You, you, it's all one house. But as we are preparing for heaven... We have to live a heaven on earth experience. And so what happens in heaven should duplicate and replicate itself right here on earth. So if we want to see what is happening on heaven happen here, it means we need a house that is diverse. I mean, we need a house that is not full of the same people. But, but, but our church culture and our religious culture, it, it, almost like, it, almost, it almost encourages this just judgmental behavior. And you may not hear every preacher preaching this. You may not hear... Um, you know, the next pastor preaching this, but I'm not afraid to tackle issues that are actually happening in the church. And one of them is, judge, is just judgment. We, we, we are so judgmental sometimes. We're very judgmental. 
on somebody's process. We judge them on their midpoint. And we don't see them the way God sees them, which is from their end point. I mean, if this concept of judgment and, 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 and judging people and putting a stronghold and, and labeling them by the stronghold was so true, then what can you say of rehab? Some of you know her, some of you don't in the Bible. The Bible says in Joshua that she was a harlot. And as they were, the children of Israel got before the wall of Jericho and they were about to, you know, run, you know scream and, and for the walls to come down before they did so, they sent spies into Jericho. The Bible says that Rahab had helped them. And so they said, you know what, because you helped them, uh, helped us, Joshua said, save her. And as they saved her, the Bible says she was a harlot. The Bible says she was a prostitute. Everybody would have written her off. In fact, the whole community probably wrote her off. But how can somebody who's been written off find themselves in Matthew chapter 1, verses 5? Solomon was the father of Boaz. You know Boaz? You know Boaz in the Bible? Ruth and Boaz, you know Boaz? Get you a Boaz. You know Boaz. Get you a Boaz. Girl, wait for your Boaz. Get you a Boaz you a Boaz with a job get you a Boaz <laughs> get you a Boaz <laughs> you gotta pay for your dinner dates get you a Boaz can't just be taking you out you just you know let you pay for it get you a Boaz with an account <laughs> you don't gotta look good today but get you a Boaz with the future get you a Boaz with an idea get you a Boaz with a plan well, don't worry, we coming next month. Salmon was, I'm doing friendships part two in November, so it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Let me just finish this. I'm wrapping up here. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz. We know Boaz. And it says, his mother was Rahab. We're talking about the harlot. You know Boaz. Oh my gosh, Boaz, like he was so rich. But his mom was a prostitute. So how can a prostitute beget greatness? That's because when everybody writes you off, it doesn't mean that God has written you off. That means that when nobody can see the greatness in you, it doesn't mean that there's not greatness in you. I'm coming. It says this. Boaz was the father of... Salmon was the father of Boaz. His mother was Rahab. Remember that? Everybody say Rahab. It says, Boaz was the father of Obed. Do you know Obed? And said, his mother was Ruth. So we know that. It says, Obed was the father of Jesse. We know Jesse. And it says, Jesse was the father of King David. Whoa. So now you're talking about David, King David. But his great, great, great grandmother was a prostitute. And we all know that Jesus is the son of David. So how can the son of God be born from a lineage of a prostitute? That means that it doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter. Oh my God, I, don't, I can't even preach this word today. I can't even preach this word today. That means that it doesn't even matter what people say. People wrote her off. They said, you a hoe. Oh, 
sorry, church people. Sorry, church people. Oh, can I be real? They said, girls, use a hoe. You were with this man. You slept with this deacon. You went to that pastor's house. You were sleeping with everybody around. How can God choose your blood to bring his son through? Oh, my goodness. But when it happens like it does in the Bible, God uses the weak things to confound the strong. He uses the weak things, the dumb things to confound the wise. It means that it doesn't matter how you appear today. You are a bundle of greatness. You have greatness on the inside of you. You might be living in sin now, but it doesn't mean there's not greatness on the inside of you for tomorrow. I need about 100 people to begin to give God a good praise right there. Just because you don't read your Bible every day doesn't mean there's not greatness. It means you're in process. You don't have to pray three hours a day. Just because you pray five minutes doesn't mean that you're still not a prayer warrior. It means you're in process. It means you're in process. You're developing. You're in process. You're in process. You're in process. You're in process. Rahab was thinking to herself, the walls are about to come down. I'm about to be killed. But she didn't realize that she had some customers who were spies who knocked on her door, who said, hey, um, uh, can we ask you a few questions? And they, they ended up staying the night. So she didn't realize that the, the profession she was doing, thinking it was in sin, was the very thing that helped her in order to stay alive so that we can have a David. We all love David. We all know David. But David, his great-grandmother was somebody that everybody wrote off. They may not like you today. They don't have to like you today. Who cares if they like you today? They don't know your struggle. They don't know where you're going. God knows where you're going. Ain't nobody care. You can, you can, you, who cares what they say? Why are you listening to them in the first place? They don't got a future. They don't even know where they're going. And you're going to allow them to speak into your life and tell you that you're not worth it? To tell them that you can't be anything? To tell you that you're... When I get like this, the... Uh... The old Kofi is just a step away. I could slide right back. Oh, thank God for the blood. I'm a new man. New man, new man, new man. Oh, please be seated. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Someone may be struggling. It doesn't mean they're not great. It doesn't mean they're not great. Because you struggle. It doesn't mean that your struggles won't come to an end. I prophesy to you in this place tonight. I prophesy that the struggle you're going through, that God in his holy, holy, holy name will see fit that the struggle comes to an end so that you enter into your greatness. I see somebody entering into greatness here tonight. Oh, I see the greatness of God all over your life here. Let me, let me finish. Let me conclude tonight. There's three things. Three scenarios we're going to look at. First one, we're going to look at we're going to look at the sinner's heart towards Christ. Then we'll look at churches, their attitude towards sinners. And then I want us to conclude by looking at what would Jesus do in that scenario. All right, let's let's quickly get through this, and then we'll pray. 
I want to read something in John 8. John 8, verses 11. John 8 verses 1 to 11 is what I'm going to read to conclude tonight. But before we do that, the sinner's heart, and listen to this very carefully, that when we talk about the sinner, we're talking about uh, back in the olden days, being um, a harlot was seen as being a sinner. It was like equivalent. It was like if you are a sinner, if you are a harlot, like that's what it, what it meant. So we're looking at Jesus and his interaction with harlots in the Bible. Okay. So if you look at the sinner's heart towards Christ, the sinner's heart towards Christ, and get this, will change when they see a duplication of Christ in his followers. When people, unbelievers, people who don't believe in God, when we as a church begin to embody and take in the heart of Jesus, and we begin to act like him, move like him, we, we do everything like Christ. When we become Christ-like, it will automatically, it through pro, it will the heart of those who don't believe will begin to believe because they see Christ in us. And, and I had, I had a, a few points that we could do to be able to um, uh, uh, change. And, and, uh, and I'm going to just list them off here uh, if off the top of my head if I can remember. If we as a church, as a generation, can operate in high transparency, I'm just going to list them off in high transparency, if we can operate in purity, if we can operate in openness, if we can operate uh, in a high level of honesty, uh, if we can operate uh, in, in a high level of, 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 of commitment, if we can operate in a high level of reality, being real, if we can be relatable, then we will see people in this church that we've never seen before. And not just this church, I'm talking about the big C church, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. We will begin to see people in this house. Uh, we'll begin to see churches being flooded by people who people would look like, you're not supposed to be here. But when we can, as believers, can get to the point whereby we are demonstrating that we care more about their soul than their gift, we will begin to see change in the church. Most churches like the gift before the person. They come to you and the first thing they say is, hey, what do you do? We want to see how we can exploit your gift before we can ask about how you're developing. That's why so many leaders in the church, that's why so many people in the church, in positions, are, are, have struggles and have weaknesses, but they can't express those weaknesses and those struggles because they're hiding behind a title. So your struggles are being hidden behind a title because you got slapped with a title because of your gift, but you were developed as an individual. So your character has not been refined, but yet you're in a position where you have to operate at a high level. So until we can be real with ourselves, transparent with ourselves, to be able to see real change, that's when we, the sinners, the unbelievers, those who don't know Christ, will begin to see a change in us, and from there, they will begin to change their hearts towards Christ. Number two, I'm wrapping up. This is my last one. Uh, in John verses 8, we read a lot of scripture tonight. I promise we won't read that much next week. <laughs> I promise. When, when I'm just going to read this and then we'll, we'll stand. Why don't you stand right now? Uh, we're going to be out of here in a second. I'm going to read this scripture, then we're, we're going to go. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered as he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, 
the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman that they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. They said, teacher, they said to this woman. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, but what do you say? So we really want to know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? She's been caught in an act of adultery. It means that she has a husband and she's cheating on her husband. It's like a soap opera. Yeah. She's cheating on her husband. So they bring this lady like, yo, what the heck? Like, this is crazy. Judge Judy, like, what? What? Judge Mathis, like, what, what are we going to do? Like, you know what I mean? She was caught. She was caught in the act of adultery. What are we going to do? And Jesus is just writing on the piece of paper. He's just writing on the ground. He's just writing stuff, teaching. And he doesn't mind them. And they keep pressuring him. They're like, yo, Jesus, what are we going to do? They want to get an answer from him. So this is our ultimate answer. What would Jesus do? It's our question. What would Jesus do in this situation? It says this, that verse 6 says, they were trying to trap him into saying something so that they can use it against him. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. We spoke about pressure last week. In a promoted place, there is pressure. But the moment there's pressure at a promoted place, apply patience. So as they were trying to trap him, Jesus continued to stoop down. He had patience. And he wrote in the dust with his fingers. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. And he applies wisdom. I love Jesus. He's like, so, so amazing. He's just, he's just like, he just knows everything. I mean, he is Lord. So, <laughs> it's just, all right, he says, if you want to stone her, stone her. But then it goes on to say this. But let those who have never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again. I love Jesus. He's like, listen, I'm busy teaching. You're going to interrupt me for nonsense. I'm going to give you, I'm answering nonsense with nonsense. So they're like, this woman's called an adultery. He's like, all right, cool. If you haven't sinned, you can stone her. Thanks. What? Goes back to writing. And the Bible says it's so crazy. They begin slipping out one by one. They're like 007. Like, <laughs> they're just, they're trying to get out as clean as possible because they're like, yo, we came here trying to trap Jesus and he ended up teaching us a lesson in this whole process. And the Bible says this, and I love it so much. It says that after all of the religious people who wanted to trap Jesus, who wanted to get this woman stoned and stoned to death, once they leave, Jesus goes to her and says, where are the people who wanted to stone you? And he said that. She says, I think they left. And she says, Jesus says, listen, I, I forgive you of your sins. He says, all of your sins have been forgiven. He says, go out and sin no more. So what does Jesus do in a position, not just of pressure, but in a, in a position where he's caught between the law in a position where people want to trap him, 
in a position whereby this woman should be deserving of being stoned. Uh, we have to be real with ourselves. Some sins we do, we should be deserving of being demoted. Like we should, God should just be, God should just forget about us because we really, we messed up. Like we messed up. He shouldn't be there. We messed up. We messed up. But then God says, listen, that's why my grace is sufficient. This is why my grace is sufficient. And so he calls him back home. And so I have a very simple call today very simple call today it's for the individual and maybe this is all for one person it's for the individual who's saying pastor i'm i'm one sin five sins eight sins i'm living sinfully living in a sinful life i just want to pray for you because you may be out there saying listen i just want to get it right with god tonight i I want to get it right. I didn't even get to the part, and I don't have time to get into there today, about how church people are the quickest to pick up stones when they should be stoning, stoning themselves. We have an attitude of, we'll pick up the stone to stone you because we want to see you fall. But if the light was turned to me, it'd be a different story. There's an attitude of religion that I'm trying to break in this church. And that's an attitude of if you live in sin or if you are not perfect, you are not deserving of grace. No. God is looking for a full house. And it's a full house of not perfect people. But this church is a church for the imperfect. No perfect people allowed. And so if you're out there, you're saying, Pastor, I just want to get it right with God tonight. I want to get it right. I just want to get it right. I want to give my life to him. I want to surrender it to him tonight. I'm the woman. People are trying to stone me. I'm on the ground. Christ is me and you. I want to get it right with you tonight. If you're a person, real quick, I'm not going to take my time tonight. Just come to the altar. If you're the person I came for here tonight, I want to pray for you. If you're that person, just be bold and come out. We don't got too much time tonight. Just be bold and come out. I see you. I see you. Come on, let's clap for our brothers and sisters of the heart. I see you. 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 You're the person I came here for tonight. Pastor, I just want to get it right. I want to get it right. I want to get it right. I want to get it right. Pastor, I just, I want to get it right. Listen, it doesn't matter. You could have titles. Who cares? In heaven, there's no titles. We're all sons and daughters. I just want to get it right. I want to, I want to actually get it right with Christ tonight. I want to get it right with Jesus tonight. I want to get it right. Every head bowed in this place, every eyes closed. Come on, I, I feel there's about two more people who need to encounter the well tonight. We need to come into contact with God's grace tonight. I see you. 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 One, two. I see you. I see you. I see you. There's two more people that need to be here at this altar. You know it's you. I'm talking to you tonight. This was for you. You know this was for you tonight. I'm talking to you. You need to be down here. You know you have to get it right with Christ tonight. You may not have tomorrow. So why don't you just do it tonight? You know I'm talking to you. You know I'm talking to you. I see you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Tomorrow's not promised. You have today. I once heard of a story of a young man who, there was an altar call and 
they came with, I think the story is he came with his friend to the altar. He came with his friend to the church service. And it was an altar call like this. And he wanted to go down to the altar. And his friend laughed at him. His friend said, no, you shouldn't go down there. What the heck? You're going to embarrass yourself. Everybody's going to know you're a sinner. They're going to know you live in sin, blah, 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 blah. Religious talk. It's not relationship. And his friend went down to the altar. The friend that he came with left and died on his way home. Yeah. And he didn't give his life to Christ. He didn't get it right with Jesus. This may be your last chance. Tomorrow is not promised. Like, don't think that I'm just going to wake up. It's by God's grace you wake up. <laughs> you could decide to just cut your breath off in your sleep. It's God's, gra it's God's grace. That's the reason why you wake up every morning in your eye. Tomorrow is not promised. Tomorrow is a gift. It's not promised. And so we might as well do it tonight. Come on, I'm going to give you, I feel there's a few more people in this place tonight who just want to get it right with Christ tonight. They want to get it right with Christ tonight. My God, my God, tomorrow's not promised. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to the Campus Rush Podcast. If you enjoyed this message and want to partner with us, visit us at www.campusrush.org to become a global partner or to partner with us in giving.